0: Well, if you have a Bible with you, I'd love if you would turn with me to the book of James. We're going to be right at the very start of the book of James this morning. We'll be focusing on James chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. (coughs) James chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Amen. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we praise you and thank you for those mighty songs we have sung this morning. We thank you that for those this morning who are in Christ, it is well and truly well with our souls. we pray that as we come to your word this morning, that you would change us. We pray that you will be working in us by your Spirit to conform us more into the image of your Son, Father, give us a a deeper sense that it is well within us, that Christ has saved us, and that Christ is for our joy. So, Father, we pray this now and commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have a really good friend. No prizes for guessing who that really good friend is. You may know him. His name rhymes with mole. One morning, we decided to go out for breakfast. This was, this was a good while ago. Well, his name is actually Joel, for those who don't know. One thing you may need to know about Joel if you don't know already is that he wouldn't be world-renowned for his decisiveness. So we go out to breakfast. We, we decide to go to Papa Brown's in Carrick. We, we sit down, and a waitress comes to take our order. I'm sure I ordered some kind of fry. And then Joel orders his food. But then the waitress asked us, well, do we want any drinks? I think I probably just asked for water. But then Joel asked for tea. And the waitress replied, well, what tea would you like? Should have seen Joel's face light up. You've never seen anybody so excited to hear about his options for tea. So he asked, well, what teas do you have? And I kid you not, this this waitress begins reciting all the teas. She must have named at least 12 different flavors. Never heard so many different flavors in my life. And at this point, I'm thinking, well, surely he just needs to pick one and allow her to stop having to remember all of these different teas. But no. He allows her to get to the very end, and he ums and he ahs, and he asks her what she recommends, and then he eventually comes to a decision, and he says to her, I think I'll just have normal breakfast, tea, thanks. I was frustrated. Maybe you find this kind of thing frustrating, too. We, We like it when people are decisive, don't we? When someone commits to their decision and sticks with it. If you've heard some of the illustrations that Joel uses about me in talks he does, you'd realise he gives as good as he gets, so hopefully you won't mind me sharing that story. When we come to the beginning of the book of James, we are introduced to what is recognised as probably the unifying theme of the whole book. It's the main overarching aim of James's letter, and that aim what James so deeply wants of all Christians is for them to be whole, for them to have wholeness in their faith. He, he doesn't want people to be indecisive or, or uncommittal, not in regards to tea, but in regards to faith. This is what James is getting at. And we see this in the first section of James chapter 1. In verse 4, we see that James wants us to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Let me read verses 5 to 8 again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind." For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He is double-minded. We'll come back to what James is saying about wisdom there later. But hear that phrase, the one who doubts is double-minded. In the Greek, we could take it as literally double-souled. This person's allegiance is torn. It's divided. It's as if they have two souls or their soul is split. Where, where one half is given to God and trusts him, but the other half is committed to other things or, or holds back from full trust. It's as if the one who is soul has one foot in the door and one foot outside of it when it comes to faith. And this, for James, is not at all how the Christian life should look. The ideal for the Christian is to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. This is the opposite of double-mindedness. Uh, It's reminiscent of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I think these are verses you'll likely be familiar with. Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You see what's going on here? "Hear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Yahweh our God is one. He is, we could say, whole. We could say single-minded. He is undivided in all his ways and will. And so how are are God's people to respond to their God who is one? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. All of it not most of your heart and with the majority of your soul and then with all your might just until it hurts. No, we worship our God of oneness with a oneness or wholeness of soul. All of us. And the same thing is being said now when James is compelling us to be single-souled when it comes to our faith. James is so eager for us as Christians to pursue wholeness, to be single-souled, for our allegiance to be undivided, wholly given to God. And so let's see what James has to teach us. James gives us two ways in which we might pursue and grow into wholeness. Firstly, he wants us to think joyfully about suffering. Yes, she heard me right. James wants us to think joyfully about suffering. James begins his letter with his greetings. And we might expect him to follow it with what we often see in the New Testament with some thanksgiving and some prayer for the church. But no, James, he comes out all guns blazing. He doesn't hold back. And he begins with an absolute bombshell. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, this might not have hit you as a bombshell this morning. In fact, if, you, if you're not new to church, then you've almost certainly heard this verse. But I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the ones who were receiving this letter and hearing this for the first time. A, a, a big focus of this letter is a the theme of suffering. And so we assume that James knows that these Christians were enduring suffering at the time. And so when they would have read this, I am sure it would have come as a surprise, at least in part. They may be asked questions that we are tempted to ask. Well, does, does James mean that because we are Christians, it is wrong to be down or depressed or scared because of trials that we're going through? Is it wrong for me to not want to go through trials? Those are the questions that come to our mind, aren't they? Well, let's look closely at the text and see exactly what James is trying to communicate to us. Count it all joy. That word count, the idea is to consider. It requires us to engage our mind. It's an act of the mind. And then the word, the word translated as all in the ESV. This could also be translated, you see it in other versions, as pure. So pure Joy. It's a word that denotes intensity, and so we are to consider it pure joy. Real kicker is that word joy, isn't it? That word that just seems so incompatible with suffering. Well, I think it's often helpful for us to contrast joy with happiness, where where happiness we could say is a feeling that we have towards something in the moment. Joy in biblical terms is more of a foundational attitude towards things that isn't dependent on the goodness or badness of a situation. Someone has said that joy may be defined as a settled contentment in every situation Or or I love this definition for our passage here. Joy is an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, and unadulterated, thankful trust in God. That's helpful. Because it's not natural to consider trials as joy, is it? It is deeply unnatural. It's subversive to us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So, so we're to consider it a joy when we, meet, when we meet trials, when we meet them. We don't go seeking them out. That's not what James is saying. But it's a definite when, isn't it? We all face, face trials, don't we? I would guess you'd probably face some trials this week. 1 Peter 4 verse 12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Well, what trials are we to consider joy when we meet them then? Is it it just certain ones? Well, he says various trials. It's not like there's a short list of the ones you've got to consider joy. It means that any trial, no matter what that looks like, when we encounter it, we consider it joy. But how? Why? Verse 3. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness for you know, Again, this is something we know in our minds. That's what James is saying. What do we know? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is what James expected these Christians to know, and it's what he needs us to know this morning. The testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Let's unpack this together. We're introduced to this idea of being tested here, and it must be connected to the trials that James was talking about. So it seems that these trials are in our lives for the purpose of testing us, testing our faith. Since it's our faith being tested, it must be God doing the testing. And it's this testing then that produces steadfastness. It produces a perseverance in our faith. And so what is being said here isn't so much that God is sitting up in heaven grading us on our faith. That's not what it looks like at all. God is not up in heaven grading us on our faith. Instead, the idea is that God allows us to go through trials in our lives that our faith may be tested, but come out stronger at the end of it. Douglas Moo, a writer on the book of James, says that the testing of faith here, then, is not intended to determine whether a person has faith or not. It is intended to purify the faith that already exists. We can think of the goldsmith who uses fire to to purge the impurities from his metal. We can think of how muscles grow or when we work out, it hurts and the muscle fibers actually tear, but as they heal back and recover, the muscle is left stronger and healthier at the end of it. We're introduced here in James to a spiritual form of no pain, no gain. We are given trials so that steadfastness may be produced. And then James continues, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James is saying that as Christians, we need this steadfastness because it's by letting letting it have its full effect on us that we come closer and closer to completeness, to wholeness. James is saying that trials, testing, suffering are actually an integral part of spiritual formation and Christians need to be tested because this is how they become more steadfast, which leads to completion. But some of you may be thinking, well, hold up here. Look, I believe this, this is what James is saying, but surely this doesn't work every time. Maybe you have seen people who have fallen away from the faith because they have been through some kind of suffering. We see that happen, don't we? At this trial, it doesn't produce steadfastness, but maybe produces bitterness towards God instead. And this is where a caveat comes in, and it's a caveat that James has already given. Because this steadfastness and the wholeness that steadfastness can lead to will only come if we suffer well it will only come if we suffer in a godly way. And how do we do that? We consider it pure joy when we meet trials of various kinds. So what does that look like for us then? Well, that, that's, that's the burning question. That's what we need to know. Well, I think that what James is saying isn't so much that when we are suffering, we are to be excessively joyful. i I'm never allowed to express sadness. That's, I, I don't think that's what James is saying here. I think that what he is saying is that when we are suffering, perhaps even when we are not suffering, we have to think in our minds and know that although we will suffer, that there is a purpose in it. James is showing us that we will suffer, but its purpose is that we will grow in steadfastness and that ultimately this leads to our wholeness as Christians, our more and more undivided allegiance and worship to God. And so what James is saying is that what should be joyful for us is that as Christians, our suffering is never meaningless. As Christians, we will suffer. We know this, but there is always a purpose. There is always a purpose. I don't know what you think about this, but I think that this is a tremendous gift of the Christian faith that nothing else quite offers not only is there hope for the, for the suffering Christian, but there is also a plan and a purpose in it. There is a steadfastness that only the testing of our faith can bring. And there is a wholeness, a single-souledness that can only be had when we let steadfastness do its work in our life. We, we can see a kind of spiritual formula appearing here. Trials plus suffering well equals steadfastness that leads to wholeness. And so this wholeness that James is speaking about, this has to be a chief desire in our lives. If, if we don't desire this wholeness, if we don't particularly desire to grow in Christlikeness and holiness, then we're not going to be moved with joy at the thought of this being achieved through suffering are we? Not going to compute. We're going to find it hard to think joyfully about our suffering if the thought of being more at one with God just doesn't bring us joy. We cannot be perfect in this life. James knows this and we know this because the sinful self still remains. We will still struggle. But James is telling us that we can grow in wholeness and this is how it is done through suffering. So this is a challenge to us this morning, isn't it? see if our desires align with what James is submitting to us here. This leads us into our second point. To grow greater in wholeness, we must think joyfully about suffering. And secondly, we must ask in faith for wisdom. Now, if you were to read through this 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 first section of James that we have this morning, and you came to verse five, you might think that James has just completely changed topic. It, It just feels a little bit random and sporadic. But what we see in James is a kind of wisdom literature similar to proverbs and so in a sense it it does feel a little bit disconnected but I think what we can see here is, is a definite link that runs through with this theme of wholeness in these verses and there are connections to be made James says but if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him We said a moment ago that James can be considered as wisdom literature, and so this gives us the key to understanding what is going on here, because the theme of wisdom in wisdom literature entails more than what we consider wisdom to be. Wisdom is not viewed solely as the ability to solve problems in an effective way or to offer sage advice in a complicated situation. Wisdom to the wisdom writers is actually viewed more as a way of life. It is wise to live in a righteous way and in a way that is in accordance with what God has laid out for his people. And so James isn't saying, well, are you unable to give good relationship advice to your friends? Come ask me and I'll sort it out. It's not what's happening here. No, James is saying more, do any of you struggle to follow God? Do any of you find yourselves drifting away from God's will more often than you live by it? we could connect to to what we said before and say, do any of you struggle to consider it pure joy when met with various trials? Do you struggle to desire wholeness and holiness more than you desire other things of this world? I do. Let that person ask God for this wisdom to be able to live a life following God. That's the situation that James has in mind here. Then he continues Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Now, this is where the original languages help us here because a lot of scholars will say that the word translated generously can also be be translated simply or singly. God gives wisdom singly. That seems to be James' idea here. And where James will soon rebuke the double-minded man, it seems here that we see God as single-minded God gives singly. James here didn't have in mind as much God's generosity, although he is so generous, but rather he has in mind God's singleness in giving. One writer has said that God has an undivided intent to give us those gifts we need to please him this will become more significant when we think about the double-minded man, but, but I hope you can see where we're going with this. God gives with singleness of intent and he also does it without reproach. God is not waiting for us to pray for wisdom only to scold us for not having that wisdom in the first place. But we sometimes feel like that, don't we? We maybe want to pray and ask God to help us in our spiritual walk Then we think of God and that He'll expect me to already know that, or or expect me to already have a handle on that thing, and so I I probably just shouldn't ask. Like it's like if we're in work and we're assigned a task that we don't quite know how how what to do. Your manager expects you to know what to do, and so you're a little scared of asking in case they throw it back in your face. But that's not how God deals with us. He gives without reproach without disapproval that we are not yet perfect. He loves it when our heart is inclined to desire wholeness and wisdom. And so he invites us to pray for these things. He doesn't invite us just to say, Lord, please give me wisdom. And we can turn our heads over on the pillow and expect to wake up the next morning as the perfect Christian. No, James says in our remaining verses, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What does it mean to ask in faith? What does it mean to pray with no doubting? Well, the general way I believe that the Bible presents doubt is that it is not wrong for there to be a period of doubt in a Christian's life. But what God is more concerned with is what we do with our doubt. In that we bring it to him and work towards trying to reconcile what we know as truth and then how we engage with it in faith. And so I don't think that what James is saying is that your prayers aren't going to work if there are times when you find it hard to trust God. I think in James's mind here, the one he sees as doubting, the one who he sees as a wave being tossed to and fro by the wind, is the one who one, one day wants wisdom from God. One day they really want to live for God, but then the next day has no concern for God in his life. James is saying that the doubter like this has no anchor for their soul They seek wisdom and a way of life in many different places. So when this person prays and asks for wisdom from God, it's like a person who buys into fads really easily. They'll be excited in the moment, but as soon as the next thing comes around that tickles their fancy, wisdom from God is left behind. This is why James continues, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is logical, isn't it? God knows the heart, and that person will not receive anything from God because deep down in his heart, he doesn't truly want it. That isn't to say that he will never truly want it, but then and there, that is not the single desire of his heart This is why James says he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He can't make up his mind. He doesn't know what he desires. And this is where I think this all falls into place. God gives to us singly. He gives with single intent. And God wants us to ask for wisdom, not with a double mind, but with singleness of mind. Listen to what Douglas Moo has to say again. Indeed, our asking must coincide with the way in which God gives He gives with singleness of intent, we must ask with singleness of intent. To ask single-mindedly or with a single soul is to be Christ-like in our prayer. It is to pray when our earnest desire is to be a committed and consistent Christian growing in wholeness. So I think James would call us to ask ourselves, well... What is that wind in our lives that tosses us to and fro like waves? Where else are we looking for our way of life? What is distracting us from committing ourselves single-mindedly to the wisdom of God? Is it the culture at work that you you so want to be a part of uh, and so you live with a double mind being in, in both, not knowing where to get your wisdom from? Is it a group of friends that that lead you away from godly behavior and so you live a a double-minded life wanting to to live for Christ on the one hand but also wanting to fit in and do whatever you might need to do to fit in? Is it the you, when when James tells us that God will, will, will not grant that wisdom when you pray for it, our God who is one and our God who gives singly wants us to come to him as he comes to us? This is a challenge for all of us this morning, isn't it? It is James's earnest desire for us that we would grow in wholeness as Christians. That we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I hope that this is your desire too. It's my hope, it's my desire too, for you and for me. I would ask you to pray for me as well, that this would be where I want to get my wisdom from. This is the way of life I would commit myself to. James has a high view of the Christian life and the call to wholeness that we have in it. For James, he knows that we will all suffer as Christians, but ultimately he sees these trials as life-giving for us. He wants us to think joyfully about suffering that our steadfastness may leave us lacking in nothing. And he wants us to live our lives in wisdom, not being tossed to and fro in our faith, but to be anchored, living with a single soul that is committed wholly to our God who gives singly to us. So as we close, I, I want you to see the eternal hope that this is framed by. Later in the same passage, James says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. This single souledness and obedience to God is not merely for some moral uprightness in this life. This instead is the path of life for those who have been saved by Christ empowered by his spirit to live for him so they may receive the crown of life which they have been promised the life of christian wholeness is a life of joy even in the midst of suffering and the wisdom given by god who is so willing to give it to us and so pray for it in faith let's pray together Father, we recognize that this past week we have been distracted by things that would make us double-minded people, that would lead us searching for wisdom, leading to our chief desire being in other things, having torn allegiance. Father, we pray this morning that you would make us single-minded people. People who love you and seek to follow you with singleness of intent. And Father, we thank you that you are so gracious and so willing to give us that wisdom. Father, I pray for anybody here this morning who is suffering, who is going through a trial. Help them to think joyfully about this suffering. Not that not that what they are going through is a good thing but that the outcome would be good, that they would have steadfastness that leads to completion. Father, encourage our hearts this morning and be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.